the United States of America, home of the brave. A place that is filled with different cultures, diversity, beautiful scenery, a place I call home. But one thing many people may not know about the USA is that artisans, craftsmen, and women, photographers, musicians, creatives, makers of all sorts that come with this beautiful country. Many people tend to buy products from major online retailers that they forget about the make that is happening right here in America. From the Industrial Revolution and even prior to that time period, America has continued to build its economy through makers, and there are thousands of them. America has makers that forge steel to make knives and axes, sew skirts, hats, and handbags with materials of all sorts, paint and capture visuals that are forever in your home and carried in your heart, share stories through music and writings, make special treats and refreshing beverages, and much more. Join me through the journey through the lives of makers across our country to hear how they get down with their craft. I'm Kristen Vermeule, and this is Makers of the USA. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Makers of the USA main series. The next maker on the series is Steve with Renaissance Timber. Have you ever heard of hand-hewn? I had no idea what it was until I met this lovely gentleman who lives right down the road from me. I always passed by his house and saw the Renaissance Timber sign hung in his front yard and was always curious what was going on there. But come to find out, Steve was turning a round tree into a square beam using only hand tools. While water-powered sawmills existed in New England as early as 1630, hand-hewing large beams was a technique favored by many American craftsmen to frame out barns and buildings, structures that have stood the test of time and borne patiently with the worst of summer's blistering heat and New England's unkind winters. Today, Steve uses exactly the same tools and techniques as 17th and 18th century Maine craftsmen to create classic beams and mantles, timbers that will transform your family's favorite space into a show case for generations to come. Now, let's get to it. Let's talk craft with Steve Smith from Renaissance Timber. Hey guys, welcome back to the Makers of the USA main series. I am here with Steve with Renaissance Timber. Thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. Well, actually being here, like I'm here, I'm in your <laughs> shop I'm, I, and it's like right down the road from where I live and I'm so happy to be here. We're actually in a dairy barn. Yeah. Wow. And so let's talk about what is your craft and what inspired you to start it? Mm -hmm. My craft is hand hewing, which is basically turning a round log into a square beam using only an axe. And it's a craft that's been around for thousands of years. Um, most of the old homes and barns and structures throughout New England were timber framed and they were those beams were hewn just with an axe. So it's a craft that is not common anymore, but you can still learn about it through books or YouTube videos. And um, as soon as I learned about it, it just resonated. I just knew I was going to enjoy it. That's awesome. So let's take a step back. And I want to know like where you're originally from and sort of like your history and how you got to where you are today. Sure. I grew up on this property um, here in Cumberland, Maine. And you know, growing up in the fields in the forest with my twin brother, um, adventuring out in the woods, always working on the old farmhouse with our dad. There's always something to fix. So working with our hands and kind of having that five senses experience of nature with the, the you know, sounds and the scents. I went to college and in, in the Midwest was a history major. So wow. I was always interested in history. 
and then uh, worked at a medical school in Biddeford, Maine for a while, and then went to grad school in Dallas for theology and then communications. So I was writing and storytelling for a while. And it was there in, in Ohio, where we moved to, that I kind of got bit by this bug of really wanting to work with my hands again and not just be in an office behind a screen, not seeing the product of my hands. Yeah. And how long have you been doing this? I've been hewing for a little over four years. Wow. And that's when you moved back to Maine. Yes, exactly. So you just wanted to just start fresh. I mean, it sounds like you went to school for so many different things. I know, I know. And it's so funny because there's a lot of folks that do that. They go to school for certain things thinking they have this vision and this like picture perfect snapshot of what they want to do with their careers. Mm -hmm. And then it's kind of like you pivot. If you don't mind me asking, how old are you? I'm 42. Wow. So it's Mm -hmm. just like you've had such a journey leading up to where you are today. (laughs) But I can look at the different threads of my life, like growing up in nature, being a history major, even the storytelling aspect is all playing into my current career of, of being out in the woods and using my hands and an appreciation for the historical crafts. It's it's all there, you know, right. in a sense. Yeah, it kind of feeds together. I can mm-hmm. see that. So what is hewing? I don't know very much about the craft. And can you explain a little bit of the history of it? Sure. Hand hewing, again, is just taking an axe and squaring off a round log into a beam that then is useful for timber framing. Um, And timber framing is joining beams to form a structure. The reason that for thousands of years people used axes was because they didn't have sawmills. Um, They sometimes had saws, like hand saws or pit saws, where guys would saw planks or, or beams. But it was usually more efficient to square off a log with an axe. For hundreds of years here in America, the process looked like this. You would take a round log, you would affix it so it wouldn't move, you know, to either dunnage underneath it, or you would have these big, basically metal staples that you would staple it to logs underneath. Then you would take a felling axe, the type of axe you'd use to cut down a tree, and you would uh, score down the, down the side of the log. You would uh, mark square on each end of the log, and establish a plane with a chalk line. Um, As I mentioned, you'd score. Then you'd come back with that felling axe and knock out the billets in between those scoring marks. So if you think of like a bunch of wedges down the side of a log, now you're knocking those those billets out between those wedges going along with the grain. So they kind of pop right out. That's rough hewing. You basically have a rough squared off side. Mm -hmm. And if you want to smooth that, you take a broad axe, which has a much longer bit and usually is single bevel, so it wants to it wants to follow a straight line, and you smooth off that face, and you can get it really smooth. And if you do that on four faces, you have a squared off beam. That's hand hewing. Wow. So this is what this is a craft that was being used way back, and now it's non-existent, right? Because it seems like there's a lot of machines and stuff that do these things like just automatically. Well, it's not non-existent. It's just uncommon today hmm. for that reason. There are some timber framers here in the States or in Europe or Australia who will who will do it if a client wants the look of hand-hewn beams. They'll do what's called dressing a beam. They'll take a sawn beam and kind of dress it with an axe. And some timber framers, um, especially in Europe, who are doing restoration work, will hew beams and you know put up structures. Notre Dame um, had the fire a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And there are carpenters who are using the, the traditional arts 
to create the trusses that are going to be used to rebuild it. Um, wow. And the government, the French government is wanting these beams to, to have that same craftsmanship um, as the historical beams did. So there are guys doing it. There's just not a lot. And I believe I may be the only person in the United States hand hewing commercially as, wow. a, as, as my primary you know, occupation. So why go do this full time? <laughs> First of all, I, I got into it for the love of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't sure if I could make a living at it. But what I discovered was not only that I was very passionate about it, and I do love the lifestyle, but there's a whole niche of Americana who also appreciate the crafts. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a homesickness in our country for traditional values and aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Um, people want to have the warmth of a hewn beam, you know, exposed in their home, either as a, as a mantle for a fireplace or a structural beam. And, you know, these people, I don't need thousands of customers because I'm just an individual. Um, so I'm low volume, high value, and, you know, I'm able to make a living doing this. Wow. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So when you were trying to, so I know you're getting into the craft, like probably playing around with it, right? Mm -hmm. Practicing. Mm -hmm. Can you walk me through sort of the beginning stages of that? Yeah. It's funny because when we moved back to Maine from Ohio, um, we renovated the old farmhouse that I had grown up in, put an addition on for my folks. So it was like a multi-generational living scenario. And there was an old cedar tree next to the house that had grown against the house and raccoons were climbing up it and getting on the roof. So it needed to come down. (laughs) So I cut it down and that was the first log that I hewed. And it was terrible. It was awful. It was curved. Like it was, it was lumpy. It was rough. (laughs) I mean, it looked like a first log that somebody was messing around with, but I loved it. And I love, I was so proud of it. And I ended up using that as a mantle in the fireplace or, you know, on top of the fireplace, just a dozen feet from where that tree had grown. So that, that sense of, what do the French call it? Like terroir, terroir, Mm -hmm. like that very hyper local flavor is something that, um, that I love. Uh, Most of my trees come right here from the town forest in Cumberland. The town will let me uh, hand hew any of the fallen trees in the forest for free as long as I do it by hand and haul it out by hand, wow. it's all sustainable. So that was my first log, that cedar. And from there, I had friends who would take trees down that needed to be culled. They would deliver logs to me. Um, I started hewing. I started selling mantles. I also do reclaimed you know, timber as well because there's a gap between what I can produce and and what can dry in time for the demand. So the gap is filled with reclaimed beams that are hand hewn. But, you know, over the past four years, I've hewn hundreds of beams. I've gotten much faster at the process. So it's it's gone from being a very painful, slow process to a very efficient process. Um, and a lot of that is proper log selection, picking logs that are straight, don't have too many knots, and uh, maximizing the beam size out of that round log. Wow. There's, it sounds like there's a lot of stuff that you've learned Throughout this process. definitely. Now, when you were kind of forming your LLC, your mm-hmm. business, how did you like price out your services? Because I mean, there isn't mm-hmm. anybody doing this except back in the day, probably a lot cheaper than mm-hmm. <laughs> what a lot of oh, people definitely. are charging nowadays. Yeah. So how did you figure that out? 
Um, it's probably a tough question, isn't it? No, it's not because really? I had to think about it. So I, I determined that my pricing was going to be based on the reclaimed market for hand-hewn beams. Yeah. Because that's my that's my competition. I'm not competing with sawmills who can churn out thousands of beams a day. You know, this is a value-added product that takes time. So I looked at um, dozens of reclaimed um, stores in the country, around the country, to see what they were charging by the board foot, which is by volume. It's 144 cubic inches. And then I looked um, to see how long it took me to hew a beam. And I, I settled on... Um, 750 a board foot for rough beams. And then if I finish off a mantle, I sand it, I put, you know, finish uh, of wax or stain on it. It's twice that amount because there's more labor into it. So 750 for, for rough beams, um, $15 for, for mantles by the board foot. And that's been a pricing structure that people have seemed really satisfied with mm-hmm. because um, they understand where that number is coming from. They understand that I have a lot of labor into this process. Yeah. And there's only been a few people who've kind of given me the hairy eyeball of like, <laughs> you're charging what? And I'm like, listen, I'm not competing with sawn. You can go to, to any local lumber yard and buy sawn beams. Right. Um, you know, come out with me in the woods for a day and hew and, and see how you feel about the pricing. Wow. So do you typically invite your clients or potential clients out? Like, do you have that conversation be like, come out here and see the process and see what I'm doing before they go and say yes? There, there's been people who have wanted to watch the process. But to be fair, the, the, the average person who reaches out to me already is looking for that handcrafted item. So the funnel has already taken place when they understand like, oh, I want a hewn beam. What does that involve? Whether it's reclaimed or somebody's doing it today, there's a you know there's a certain pricing structure that they're willing to accept to get that handcrafted item, as you would for any handmade item, whether it's a pair of gloves or you know a purse or a, a wallet or anything. You're going right. to pay a premium. In our Amazon culture, a lot of people forget that stuff actually takes time to produce by hand. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not click a button and it's here in two days. So the average client that I work with understands that they love that. And that's why they're reaching out. It's only a handful of people who are just like, well, I could find a beam, you know, for half that price somewhere. And I say, go for it. Right. That drives (laughs) me crazy. It's fine. (laughs) You know, I just had a conversation with Brent Conker and the Axe Makers and they are so backlogged because they do small batch, but they are trying to, you know, make more, their process more efficient and, you know, mm-hmm. working towards that just to get more axes out the mm-hmm. door. And they're struggling because some people come back and they're like, where's my axe? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, and you just touched on this. It's mm-hmm. sort of like you have to educate people that it takes time mm-hmm. because you're doing this. You're a one man show and mm-hmm. doing this and it, and it takes so much time. And, you know, I, I think, you should encourage people to come out and see what you do. And that's probably why you do those videos on your Instagram exactly. all the time, right? Yeah. yeah. If you're in the traditional crafts, at least 25% of your job is education. Mm-hmm. It's educating the general public in terms of what you do. And I'm thrilled when people want to copycat. You know, there's guys and, and some girls from all over the country who want to learn how to hew. And so my videos are there and they can learn that process. But it's just as important for the clients to see this is an authentic process. Um, a lot of the my contractor clients who come in, the commercial clients, 
They always assume that I've sawn the beams first and then I dress them with an ax. It's inconceivable to them that I've actually worked from the round with only an ax. And I tell them, no, <laughs> look out in the log yard there. Like those are round logs and I only have an ax. And then their jaw kind of drops and they're like, whoa, oh, I love what you're doing, you know, because <laughs> they assume that there's some sort of, you know, I'm just getting sawn beams and then dressing it with an ax quickly and calling that hewn. But that's not hewing. That's just dressing a beam. Right. Mm-hmm. Dressing a beam. You know, it's so interesting that you're using these terms and like de- defining them because I never would have like like really heard that, like dressing and right. then like, yeah. So this is very nice for me. You should write mm-hmm. a book <laughs> or start a, part, a podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would you ever think you'd do like a training school or something uh, for others who want to get into hewing? Potentially I would do workshops. Yeah. I've had um, a couple of apprentices, one for three weeks, one for just a day. And I've had many people ask about it, but because of the pandemic for several years, um, my boys weren't in school. My young boys, I helped, you know, take care of them full time. There just wasn't the bandwidth to do it, um, and keep up with my business. You would think that having an apprentice would then multiply your output, but it takes, it takes weeks or months for that to be the case. You, cause the time that you're investing training, um, kind of offsets the additional labor, but, um, I would love to have workshops someday and, yeah. and do like a Saturday. Cause I can teach you the basics of hand hewing. Like Kristen, you could walk out of here today in an hour and you would know how to hand hew. Really? Yeah. Can we do it? Yeah, totally. For real. I yeah. really want to. I'm actually like really intrigued and I yep. really want to learn how to do it. Or I'll just come to your workshop. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> do you think your boys will get into it? Are they have they already started learning? So they they haven't started learning yet because I mean I know they're so young, right? They're pretty young and um we're still working on tool safety. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was ask when it about comes to an too. axe, it's um <laughs> Now, I understand there's definitely people out there who are teaching their kids to use hatchets when they're three or whatever. That's not my boys. Oh, my gosh. Um, one has ADHD, so we're working on that. Yeah. But um, they are, however, very handy and very comfortable with making things from raw materials. So they go out in nature and they assume that they can use this log or stick or stone to build something useful because they've seen daddy do it. And again, in our culture where you go to the grocery store and buy know, prefabricated meals, or you go to the store and buy clothes that are just there on the rack, to realize that you can go out in nature and work with raw materials to create something of value is an epiphany. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's also a memory, because I think just as human beings, inherently, we, we have that desire to create. Yeah. No, that's really nice that you're wanting to open that up to your children, just because I think that's that piece of it's missing, right? It's sort of like, what does it mean to do something with your hands? Because that's what we used to do way back mm-hmm. in the day. And we just think that, right. yeah, Amazon's going to deliver us a package. And it, unfortunately, yeah, it could be all plastic or we have no idea how it was made. Yep. And um, so, wow. I mean, it sounds like you've done so much and there, you've got so many future plans. Anything else in the future that you're hoping to do with your business? I would love to... Um to build a hand-hewn timber-framed barn as like a a workshop and also like event space. Yeah. That's a dream. Um, But also just uh, replication. So having apprentices for for a longer period of time, like six months or a year, training them and then creating an entire structures that we could sell to timber framers to put up. 
um, because currently I don't do the joinery that mm-hmm. timber framers do when they take the beams, cut the mortises and tenons and join the whole thing. All I'm doing is hewing beams and then providing those to other people who can use them. But I would love to to create you know, a beam list for an entire structure, hew everything, and then sell that to somebody who could put it up as a barn or a house would be a lot of fun. Nice. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm dying to learn how to do it because like, it's just such an <laughs> yeah. interesting process. And so let's sort of like, I know we kind of walked through the process a little mm-hmm. bit. I really want to talk about um, the axes that you use. Mm-hmm. You know, how did you find them? Um, how did you know what to use? I mean, I'm assuming you just learned it through the books that exactly. YouTube yeah. videos you referenced. Um, so, but how did you find the axes that you, you use today? Yep. The first, the first axe that I, that I bought was just a Husky axe from Home Depot. Um, <laughs> it was not high quality, but I could afford it. Yeah. And then I, I went on, um, eBay and bought a Bulgarian bearded broad axe, which is a small, I mean, it sounds, that's a big name, but it was a small axe, (laughs) um, maybe like an eight inch bit or six inch bit. I'd never used it before, obviously. And that's what I used for the first year. These, what I would now classify as small axes. And I, I hewed dozens of beams with those two things and it didn't, it probably total cost was $200, right? So very low entry cost into this industry. Then I then I started getting some uh, larger axes, and for felling axes, um, I have a couple of vintage axes, meaning they were used fifty or seventy five years ago. One is called a, a Kelly um, axe, Jersey pattern. For those who know about the patterns, mm-hmm. it has a nice long bit and it moves through wood beautifully. Um, and I also have a vintage Collins axe. Both of those were restored by a guy in North Carolina and then um, shipped up here. The broad axes, um, the ones that I use the most. Uh, are and that's what smooths out. Exactly. Right? Yes. Okay. The much larger axe that wants to follow that straight line and smooth that face. Mm-hmm. The two that I use the most were made here in Portland, Maine, hmm. by Nick Downing of oh, Downing yeah. Arts. Yeah, um, yeah. And he's worked for Branton Cochran in South Portland mm-hmm. making axes as well. But Nick... Um, the first broad axe he ever made, he sold to me. And that's my favorite. That's my favorite broad axe. Oh, I love it. Um, so Nick does a fantastic job. Expect to pay for one of Nick's axes what you would pay for a good chainsaw. Um, <laughs> yeah. So d- people shouldn't, shouldn't expect to, to, to pay very little for this. You know, his expertise and the time put into these is worth it. And then Nick made um, a German goosewing axe for me that, I, that I've that i used as well. Um, and I have some other vintage broad axes that I use here and there, some big American, you know, 13-inch or 12-inch broad axes. They're very heavy, though, mm. so fatigue becomes a factor even when, you're, when you've hewn a lot. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. How long has it taken you to do a mantle? Like, what's, like, the average time? So, um, well, it's funny. It depends on the log size and the size of the beam you're trying to get out of it Mm -hmm. and how straight the grain is and how many knots there are. So I've done um, a 17 foot, eight inch by eight inch oak beam that took 17 hours. All right. That that would be like the extreme end. Yeah. And I've done um, 50 foot, eight by 11 beams that took 30 hours all the way down to like an eight foot log that takes an hour and a half or two hours. Right. 
So you can you can start moving quickly through through wood mm-hmm. if you have proper log selection and some experience. So when you mean by proper log selection, mm-hmm. are you talking about like how soft the wood is, like how easy it is to like chip away at it? Yeah, primarily it's how straight the grain is. Okay. Um, you know, if you think of the fibers of a log, um, some logs have fibers that kind of want to go diagonally. They're always kind of sublimating into the log itself. There's a lot of, you know, what used to be branches are now knots that are that are there. And the grain of the log, the fibers, want to erupt almost like little volcanoes around those knots. Mm-hmm. And when you're hewing, trying to hew in a straight line, those fibers that are then not going straight want to tear. They want to either tear out or tear in. Hmm. So it makes hewing a lot more time consuming because you have to chip away at those knots. You have to do back cuts to avoid blowout. Most woodworkers would know these terms, if, like if you're using a chisel or whatever. Um, it's the same with using an axe. So if you can find a log that has nice straight grain, the fibers are going nice and straight, and the knots are either really small or there's hardly any knots, mm-hmm. it feels like cheating when you're <laughs> hewing because the wood just pops right off. Right. So half of hewing is just proper log selection. Wow. And then um, you want to maximize the beam size. And a lot of the old beams you see in barns and homes have what's called wane, which is a little bit of a rounded edge on the corners. Mm-hmm. What that means is that the hewer, as the log was tapering, because trees taper, they get narrower as they go up. If you have a 20-foot beam, the bottom is going to be nice and square because the log was bigger, hmm. bigger bigger dimension. But as it tapers up, you know, as it's funneling down, you're getting the same size beam, but suddenly your corners are starting to get rounded because the tree is getting smaller. Yeah. If you can envis- envis- envision that. Right. Um but that means that the hewer is maximizing that beam from that log. So anytime I see Wayne, to me, it means that it's efficient. Yeah. There is very little waste versus a totally squared off beam from a very large log. You're having to remove a lot of material. Right. It just takes more time. Yeah, I can only imagine. And what has been the most challenging project you've worked on? Because I know you're talking about, you know, <clears throat> the you know, wood selection, mm-hmm. you know, it's all about hewing. And I'm sure there has been mm-hmm. a quite a challenge where you're like, oh crap, like mm-hmm. <laughs> I chose yeah, yeah, yeah. Wood and there's so many knots in it. And yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah. Two two scenarios come to mind from this past year. Um, one was a client um, wanted to use their own logs for this project where they were going to frame up some posts and um almost like a header to divide two rooms in their new build. And this client is a, is a, is a builder himself, so he knows wood. Um, but he wanted to use hemlock from his own property. And then we went out and selected the trees. He only had two that would work. And they were re- I looked at him, and I was like, oh, because they were really branchy, oh. like really big knots. Yeah. And, um, you know, once he took them down and they were on the ground, and I, I, you know, bucked the logs to length, meaning I cut them to the right length, um, I started to realize this was going to be a project because of just the massive knots in them. So my apprentice and I worked on them, and it it definitely took twice as long as it normally would take mm-hmm. because of all those knots. And at the end of the, the the time, the final log, I looked at it, <laughs> and I calculated the time it was going to take me. And I talked to the client, and I said, listen, I said, we've used all your trees for all these other posts and the header. 
I have to use one of my own logs for for this last post. Oh, it's just really? not the juice isn't worth the squeeze. Like yeah. it's just not. And he understood. And I and I picked probably the most beautiful log I've ever hewn. There wasn't a knot on it. It was perfectly straight grain, and I hewed it in two hours, and it was gorgeous. And he loved it. Good. Um, so we solved that problem. And the other big challenge was doing um, a couple of fifty foot. 8 by 11 inch beams for the desert of Maine and Freeport mm. oh, wow. for their um, barn restoration that they're doing. And these beams had to be structural. And when they're graded structurally, they can't have too many knots. They can't have too much wane, that rounded edge. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to be perfect. So we took entire trees from their property um, and, and arborists felled them. And unfortunately, a couple of the trees just didn't work out. Um, so we, I hewed those for other purposes, but they couldn't be used for these long beams. And I had to be so careful and precise. I was actually using a level to keep myself true as I was going down this 50 foot length of, of beam. Cause you can start to wander in the middle and the beam gets pudgy. They're like, it kind of gets a little pot belly down there in the middle. So I was using a level and keeping it just as straight and plumb as I could. And I was being meticulous because you could be perfect for 48 feet. But if somewhere in the middle you screw up, you just ruin that beam for, for yes. structural. So that was probably mm-hmm. the, the biggest challenge I've had. And they were able to use one of those as a truss cord for a truss and the other they're going to use as a collar tie from their own trees. It was very rewarding. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Mm-hmm. So what goes through your brain as you go through these challenging projects? Do you enjoy it? Mm-hmm. Uh, you do. I do enjoy it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You, I'm sure you get a little stressed yeah, out. I <laughs> yeah. I think um, there's always that moment, kind of that oh, crap moment right. when you're like, did I just ruin this thing? Or how can we solve this problem? The nice thing about wood is you can usually solve the problem. Whether that's um, making the beam smaller. So if, oh, if you decide the dimensions aren't going to work based on this log because there's a curve or whatever, maybe you can reduce the size of the beam. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but the process is so simple. You know, you're just squaring off something that's circular. And people have done it for thousands of years. I figure there's always a solution for, for most problems you're going to encounter. And um, the only exceptions are if... Maybe you discover there is like carpenter ants in the middle of the log and okay, so that can't be used structurally, but then it can be a beautiful mantle. Right. So you can always use something. There's not, there's hardly ever waste. Right. You know, you just have to think of it as like, oh, that took half a day and that wasn't what I expected. But, you know, there can be value of it that comes out of it at some point. Right. I mean, you have so much wood in your shop. Yeah, right. <laughs> so much wood. <laughs> so much wood. And it's like you keep getting, you keep getting more and I more know. and more. That's true. Do you find it's like, a, do you love collecting wood? <laughs> Let's talk about my wood collection, my wood issues, Kristen. Um, it's, so here's the funny thing. Um, there's been an evolution because remember, I was in communications. I was, I was a writer. I was, I'm not a carpenter. I did not grow up in the trades. And a lot of what I, what I got for wood initially was just whatever came my way. So people would take a tree down and they'd just give it to me. Maybe it wasn't the right species that I would normally work with. Maybe it had a lot of branches. And then I was getting a lot of ugly wood because I could make um, cutting boards with resin. Right. And, um, and then I, and then you start hoarding. You kind of just hoard, <laughs> you know, like, oh, I could use this someday. So the process now, my evolution as a maker is, to, is I've become more selective. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So the wood that's in my my dairy barn, my dairy barn is full of wood, but it's slowly I'm filtering out the stuff that is either not sellable or or I really wouldn't use. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a local florist that I work with, and she takes a lot of those you know gnarly pieces that I can't use, and she turns them into um, floral creations where that's she awesome. does puts moss on them or whatever, and she she's. She comes periodically every few months and cleans out a bunch of the stuff that I wouldn't use for free. You know, I mean, she can take it and turn it into something beautiful. I've had clients come back after they had a mantle made and they saw offcuts of other pieces of wood. And they're like, oh, I like to make furniture out of offcuts and I just give them wood for free. So I'm slowly culling out the stuff that I don't use and replacing it mostly with longer structural beams and mantles and some uh, dimensional wood and stuff or live edge slabs that I actually do use. So that's been a just a process as a maker to be more selective, less wasteful. That's great. And it, it's like you don't want to like totally get rid of this lovely collection of wood in here. I mean, it's nice that you're like calling it out and trying to give it to other people to reuse. Because, yes, I mean, there are makers that are definitely would love that. Yep. And, um, but I feel like they're sort of like your, your precious gems. Like it's like, you just <laughs> want to keep them because <laughs> yeah. you never know. It could turn into something like that. Yeah. It could be a, like a part of a project or, yeah. you know, it could be a masterpiece. Yeah, so, for sure. so I'm going to wrap up with why Maine, you know, why do what you do in mm-hmm. Maine? I know you are from here and mm-hmm. I know you have family, but yep. You know, are there other things that come to mind when it comes to doing your craft here in the state? Yes. So Maine has a long tradition of forestry and um, the traditional crafts. Um, In fact, my great, great, great grandfather on my mother's side was a river driver in the Penobscot River. So he drove logs down the river that would then go to the sawmills. And my, my great, great grandfather on my father's side sold reclaimed lumber. So even in my own family, there's a legacy and a tradition of working with the raw materials in the state of Maine um, to make useful things. Maine itself is more forested today than at any point since the Revolutionary War. And the reason for that is because Maine used to be heavy in agriculture. So a lot of the, the forests around here used to be fields. Um, so Maine has a lot of wood. It has a lot of beautiful trees and it's very easy to, to get trees that, you know, arborists are taking down or have fallen down in a windstorm. So I have no lack of raw materials at all. There's a wealth of that. And then Mainers as a, as a group of people really tend to appreciate hard work and the traditional crafts. And I find people very generous with their, their encouragement and their praise of what I'm doing. When I'm hewing in the woods along paths, people who are running by or walking their dog will stop and chat and ask questions. And like, nobody is like, oh, why are you doing that? Like, what a waste of time. They're all like, oh, I'm so glad somebody's doing this. And I'm so glad these trees are being used. And oh, what are you using them for? So it's a very hospitable culture for the crafts. And I'm very fortunate to live here in Cumberland and the greater Portland area and in the great state of Maine. Great. That was a great wrap up. Thank you so much, Steve, for being on the podcast. I learned so much about what you do and um, I look forward to seeing what you do in the future. Thank you so much for having me. 
Thank you for tuning into the Makers of the USA main series. And thank you to Steve for being on the podcast. If you'd like to learn more about his craft and view his beautiful work, I will link his website and social media handles in the notes section of the podcast. Also, please follow the Makers of the USA on Instagram and Facebook if you'd like to see visuals of these wonderful makers that are part of this series. If you have enjoyed this podcast series thus far, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Facebook. Now, stay tuned because we have music back into the series. Um, We have a lovely single from King Coyote. I actually got to meet him at a dinner party. The lovely owner of Holy Donut, actually the founder of Holy Donut, um, hosted a dinner there and King Coyote was there performing and I wanted to showcase his work. So stay tuned for the track after my last message, which is thank you all again and stay safe and healthy. Shifting and the heat rising slow. And it caught like a razor. Heaven, watch you go.